0: Welcome to the Thrive Vineyard Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Kevin Kiefer. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit thrivevineyard.com. So big news in the Kiefer house, Molly's pregnant. No, that's not true. She's not... (laughs) She's not pregnant. No. But we did uh we did celebrate our twenty fifth wedding anniversary this week. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's a pretty big matzo ball right there. Um, and so as we celebrated our 25th this, this week, um, one of the things that we did is we just kind of did an inventory. We, we looked back at our 25 years, and we just kind of talked about it, and we talked about the high points and the great memories that we have, and we actually spent some time talking about the low points, so we talked about the challenges that we've had over 25 years, and And I have got to tell you guys that uh, embarrassingly, when Molly and I got married, we barely knew each other. I mean, and really, what we knew was like all the great parts and hardly any of the unhealthy parts or the parts that we didn't like. We didn't know any of that stuff. We just thought we were marrying these amazing, amazing people uh, until we actually got into the marriage itself. And there was like some rude awakenings in there, right? And um, our first big fight uh, was the sock drawer fight i don 't know if anybody else has ever had the sock drawer fight, but um, when what, like literally a day or two after we got back from our honeymoon and had moved into our apartment, Molly opened my sock drawer and it was um, just just hundreds of socks, like not paired up, but just like a drawer full of socks and for whatever reason this This, okay, here we go. (laughs) Can we just talk socks for a moment? I love this guy. Uh huh. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. nobody has time to pair socks. So, Kevin, to this day, every time we go to Costco, the first thing in the cart is another. 12-pack of socks. Like, I have baskets of unpaired socks. Okay, so clearly she's got a thing with socks, right? This is the answer. We don't match them. We buy new ones. No, 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 no. no, no. Okay. So, (laughs) So anyway, she pulls the sock drawer open and comes unglued right? And she thinks in her mind, I have married an animal. (laughs) Literally, it just completely freaked her out. And we got into this massive fight about why I should be pairing up my socks. And she was completely freaked out. This was like, this was the end right here. And I just thought to myself, this is going to be a very long marriage. This is going to be a really, really long time, right? And so I I don't know about you guys, but I imagine that for any of us that have been around the block on planet Earth for any period of time, you probably know that relationships are hard. They're not all easy. As a matter of fact, oftentimes they're not easy at all. And Molly and I, over the years, believe it or not, we have got into uh, just so many different scrapes with each other. We've bumped into each other, and we've, we've had moments in our lives. We've had seasons. If you've been married for two and a half decades, you go through some some great times and you go through some rough ones and we have been through some really really challenging times times where we fought so much and it wasn't like cute you know sitcom fighting it it was like ugly you know like you would not want to be a fly on the wall in the Kiefer house when molly and i we're going at it. We have had some really, really hard times. And, and the way that Molly and I fight is we're not, uh, people that avoid it. We, we kind of go towards each other in anger. Uh, and that's what it looks like. Sometimes it looks like yelling and things like that. Some of you guys might fight in the opposite way. Instead of getting hot and moving towards each other, you may get cold and isolate and kind of punish through, Uh, the cold shoulder, you know, I don't know how it is exactly that you fight but um, relationships are a challenge and I'm really glad that Andrew uh, went through our flames, Uh, these flames these are fires that we are trying to light inside of you guys and our third flame is our grow flame, we call it our grow flame and it is about igniting um, personal wholeness, spiritual maturity, uh, healing in our hearts, things like the fruit of the spirit love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, good gentle, this gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, those are the types of things that we're trying to stir up in this grow flame, and so today what we're going to be talking about is we're going to be talking about relationships, but particularly in those moments where things get hot, in those moments where things uh, kind of go off the rails, and we're in sort of a period of fighting, and the question I want to ask this morning is, is when we have anger in our relationships, whether it's hot anger moving towards each other, or whether it 's cold sort of turn you know cold shoulder anger can that anger be healed in the moment, even when it is deeply felt? can we can we somehow change the heart and the mind and even the emotions of a person that is upset with us, whether it 's at home or it 's uh, uh, with extended family or it 's in the workplace or the guy that you cut off on the highway? can we heal in that moment can anger be be changed and reversed can peace come in those moments of conflict uh and if it's true if that can happen if we can if we can somehow be ushers and conduits of God's peace and conduits of God's healing precisely in those moments of pain and mistrust and anger and accusation well I would say that that would require a great power from God to be able to do that but, but I just want to say, is that not our mission? Is that not who we are called to be and what you and I are actually called to do? Because how many of us know that if you are a follower of Jesus, you are God's child, right? We are God's children. And what does Jesus say about his children? Well, in the, in the Beatitudes, uh, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said this. He said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. We're daughters of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. And when Jesus taught us to pray, now think about the, the Lord's Prayer, right? When Jesus taught us to pray, the key, sort of the, one of the focal points for me is let your kingdom come and let your will be done on earth at my address 1273 North Jack Pine Court let your will be done at my in my house as it is in heaven and so see, you see you guys that in every situation but particularly in those moments of conflict in those moments where there's anger and mistrust and hurt and all of those things you and i are actually not just invited to, but we're created to. We're called to become conduits of God's kingdom. You with me on that? And so when we talk about being a conduit of God's kingdom, what are we talking about? Well, uh, Paul wrote this in Romans chapter 14, I think it's helpful for us to understand the kingdom this way. He said this, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but, here it is, of righteousness, peace, and joy. Is it up there? All right. Let's read that together. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy. Oh, I forgot, in the Holy Spirit. I just had the first part memorized. That's right. In the Holy Spirit, right? And so our work is to be channels of righteousness and peace Enjoy. That's what we we're created to do. And I know that this is what we want. Like, how many of us want to be in the middle of a fight all the time at home? How many of us want to have hurt feelings? How many of us, how many of us want to be divided uh, away from people that we're closest to, right? None of us want that. We want righteousness, peace, and joy. I know that uh, this, uh, this, this little bit that Solomon wrote, it always kind of cracked me up. He said, uh, it's better to live on the corner of the roof of the house than with a nagging wife, right? <laughs> I'm like, wow, just put her right out there right but what was he longing for he wants peace and we all want peace but the problem is is that we are really really aware And we've experienced that there is actually another kingdom at work. Not just, there's not just God's kingdom on earth. That there is the the conflict. There is a cosmic battle between two kingdoms, the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And what is the enemy? What is Satan trying to do in our hearts? What is Satan trying to do in our relationships? Well, in Galatians chapter five, Paul writes this list, not just of the fruit of the spirit, but the fruit of the kingdom of darkness, of Satan's kingdom. And here's just a few things that Satan is trying to do in our relationships. He's trying to sow seeds of hatred and discord and jealousy. He calls it fits of rage and selfish ambition, dissensions and factions. In other words, he's trying to get us angry and separated from one another. And I know that you have felt this at work in your life. You've seen this at work in the world. You've seen this at work if in your closest relationships. I know that we all experience this. And yet here we are with this call, this ability This invitation to be a conduit of another kingdom, God's kingdom. Conduits of righteousness and peace and joy. And so my message to you guys this morning is this. I'll I'll just sort of put it right out there. My message to you is that there is barely a situation in the world that cannot be healed by God. There is barely a moment in any relationship that cannot be healed by God As long as we are a people who would say yes to listening to God and following God and doing what God is calling us to do. He wants to bring righteousness and peace and joy. And so I want to challenge us this morning. I want to give us some tools that will help you to bring righteousness, peace, and joy into, particularly into your times of hurt particularly into your times of conflict, your times where there's anger and resentment and separation. So uh, if you've been here for a little while, you know that we are in the middle of a sermon series, and uh, this sermon series, we're taking a look at biblical characters, and we're looking at how extraordinary the lives of so many people in the Bible are. And uh, and so today we're going to be uh, talking about the story of one hero and two jerks. We're going to talk about one hero and two jerks. And this is the story of a woman who used what I can, what I think was an amazing superpower to accomplish a reversal in an incredibly scary and ugly situation. This is the story of a woman who was actually in a rotten marriage. She had a terrible marriage. And to make matters worse, she uh, had this unhinged sort of madman that was coming to kill her husband and her family in the midst of this, this contest of having a rotten marriage. But what you're going to see, you guys, is that she stopped this guy dead in his tracks by some relational skills that the Lord had given her. And I want to um, encourage us to pick up that, those same relational skills. And here's how good this woman was. She was so good that she had this like unhinged warrior guy coming after her and her family. He had 400 guys with him that were going to slaughter everybody. And she said, not only am I going to stop this guy dead in his tracks but I bet I can make him ask him to marry me at the end of this. (laughs) That's how good I am, right? She didn't actually say that, but that's, that's actually what she did. Um, and so, uh, I don't know, I've never seen this kind of power except when I've watched like X-Men and Marvel movies like Doctor Strange or something, but she had this ability to diffuse this incredibly intense anger and to, to completely reverse the situation that was happening. And so this woman's name, I don't know if you know who I'm talking about, the woman is Abigail. The woman is Abigail. And she had this secret relational power and her secret relational power was humility. It was humility. I'm going to be pitching you today on humility. And I have a little phrase that I want us to say. It's not very good, but you'll remember it. And it's this. Humility is the key. So can you guys say that with me? Humility is the key. Say it one more time. T is the key. All right, so I'm going to read you the story of this nasty jerk named Nabal, and I'm going to read you the story of his amazing wife and this unhinged terrorizer named David. All right, so here we go. This is a bit long, but uh, the writing of this in First Samuel is better than I could summarize it for you, so I'm just going to read it to you. So we're going to read together. It says this. You don't have to read out loud. I'll do the out loud reading. It says there's a certain mad from, uh, man from uh, Moan or Maon or whatever, uh, who had property there in Carmel, he was, a, he was very wealthy. He had a 1,000 goats, he had 3,000 sheep, uh, which he was shearing in Carmel. His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband was surly and mean in his dealings. Do you know any surly, mean people? I have not really described anybody as surly lately, but I'm going to incorporate that in my common vernacular so his name was Nabal uh, and he was surly and mean in his dealings and he was a Calebite okay and while David so at this point in David's life David was not yet he was anointed king of Israel but he was not yet enthroned as the king of Israel so he was kind of kicking around the wilderness with his band of four and under 600 guys and they were just kind of doing life together and so here's what happened so while David was in the wilderness he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep and so he sent 10 young men And he said to them, go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name and say to him, long life to you, good health to you and to your household and good health to all that is yours. Now, I hear that it is sheep shearing time and when your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them and the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Ask your own servants, and they will tell you. Therefore, be favorable favorable towards my men, since we come at a festive time. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. And when David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name, and then they waited. Verse 10, Nabal answered David's servants, and he said this, Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and meat that I have slaughtered for my shearers and give it to men coming from who knows where? Well, David's men turned around and went back. And when they arrived, they reported every word. And David said to his men, each of you strap on your sword and so they did and David strapped on his as well about 400 men went up with David while 200 stayed with the supplies and one of the servants told Abigail Nabal's wife David sent messengers from the wilderness to give our master his greetings but he hurled insults at them yet these men were very good to us they didn't mistreat us and the whole time that we were out in the fields near them nothing was missing night and day they were a wall around us the whole time that we were herding our sheep near them now think it over and see what you can do because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household he is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him well Abigail acted quickly and she took 200 loaves of bread two skins of wine five dressed sheep five sias of roasted grain a hundred cakes of raisins and 200 cakes of pressed figs and she loaded them up on donkeys and she told her servants go on ahead I'll follow you but she didn't talk to her husband Nabal as she came riding on her donkey this is verse 20, as she came riding on her donkey into the mountain ravine where David and his men were descending towards her she met them and David had just said it has been useless all my watching over this fellow's property in the wilderness so that nothing of his was missing and he paid me back evil for good and may God, here's an oath, may God uh, deal with David be it ever so severely if by morning I leave one one male alive of all who belong to him, okay? So, in September of 2018, a new word was added to Webster's Dictionary, and that word is hangry. (laughs) And David was hangry. David and his men were the very definition of hangry. Hangry, of course, is hunger, or anger that is brought on by excessive hunger, right? And David and his guys were hangry, and he had come unhinged. He was triggered. He was unglued because, and here's why, is that in their culture there was sort of like this unspoken agreement. There was a thing that would happen. It was described here, and the thing that would happen is that uh, if a family had land and, and, you know, uh, a farm and things like that, somehow in that culture there was sort of this unspoken agreement that uh, when David was around in this particular context, David would stand guard uh, for that family against marauders or wolves or anything that would sort of threaten the family, threaten the servants, threaten the crop, that type of thing, and sort of in exchange for his kind of caring and protecting them while they were doing this important work of shearing the sheep, sort of the Common practice was was to, to honor that effort that would take over a month or something like that by, by just blessing them with some food and some drink and some provision for this group of guys. And so it's sort of like this symbiotic relationship that was part of the culture. Now we don't we don't have anything like that, but this was normal standard operating procedure in their culture. And it would be a little bit, I was trying to figure out if there was any sort of like analogous thing that I could talk about here, and there really isn't. But if you could just imagine, let's say, let's say you had like this large large family let's say you had your whole family every all the extended family living with you for a while and you just got tired of cooking for the extended family they're going to be with you all summer long you got tired of cooking for all these folks uh for you know for, at dinner time every day and so you decided there's this really great italian restaurant that's right around the corner from the house and we're going to take the whole family and we're going to do dinner at this restaurant every night for the next month right and so you do that and you talk to the waiter ahead of time you say hey we're going to be in here every single night so just take good care of us, and at the end of the month, we will, uh, I'll give you like, you know, a humongous tip for all the work that you've done, right? So at the end of the month, this waiter's done a really great job of serving you and your family night in and night out, but at the end of the month, you decide you are going to stiff this guy his tip. You're not going to give him anything at all, right? So this is not a written law. But it is certainly a cultural law. And Nabal defied that cultural law, and he defied and dishonored the future King David. And David got triggered, right? He was angry. He was insulted. He was offended. And he didn't care. He was coming for blood. He really was. And so this is the moment where uh, Abigail, the superhero kicks in. The beautiful and intelligent Al- Abigail kicks in with her superpower. And her superpower Power was what? What's the word? Humility. humility. And what is humility? humility? Humility is the key. So let's read on. Nabal, David is coming to kill Nabal and all of his guys, and Abigail has just quickly sent provisions to David and the guys, right? And so verse 23 says this, when Abigail, listen, listen for the humility, when Abigail saw David, she quickly got off of her donkey and she bowed down before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and she said, pardon your servant, my lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. Please pay no attention, my lord, to that wicked man, Nabal. He is just like his name. His name means fool and folly goes with him. And as for me, your servant, I did not see the Lord, uh, see the men my Lord sent. And now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord your God lives and as you live, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, may your enemies and all who are intent on harming my Lord be like Nabal. And let this gift which your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the men who follow you. And then she says this, please forgive your servant's presumption. The Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord because you fight the Lord's battles and no wrongdoing can be found in you as long as you live. So uh, the dictionary defines humility as having a modest or a low estimate of one's self. That's the dictionary definition. I like how Bill Johnson, I think it was Bill Johnson that said, humility isn't thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less, right? But in this case, I would like to define humility as uh, the willingness to, To go low, the willingness to humble ourselves, to go low for God's honor and glory and for love and care and for the honor of the person that is standing in front of us, whoever that person is. And Abigail used humility as a key to do two things. She used it as a key to lock up. David's anger and to unlock his compassion and his mercy. That's how powerful this was. And so today I want us to look at what Abigail did as a blueprint actually for how God wants to use you in your times of conflict so that God can use you in particular to be a conduit of righteousness and peace and joy. And so David was here and he was coming for blood and we see Abigail taking this really, really low place. Even though she didn't do anything wrong. And this is really hard, I think. This is hard for me. But think about this. Think about what she did physically, right? She took, she had her literal nose to the ground. And every time she addressed King David, she said, uh, my Lord, I am your servant. My Lord, I am your servant, right? And I just wonder, as I was reading this, I'm seeing like this incredible picture of humility. And I'm also wondering, is this like, this is going to be a hard pill to swallow for our 21st century sensibilities in it isn't it like how many of us would say i'm not bowing down like that for nobody right no way uh even if you you know even if i'm wrong i'm not going to do that but i just want to ask us how many of our messes how many of our conflicts have ever been healed by our pride How many of our conflicts, how many of our troubling times have ever gotten worked out because we stood our ground and said, I will not go low? And I want to just ask you, is this not the call that is on your life? Uh, I was thinking about how Jesus did his foot washing thing. Anybody remember that? What did Jesus do? He got on his face and he scrubbed between the toes of the, the disciples. And then he said, What I've done, this is an example for you. Now you go and do likewise. You go and get on your face and serve the one in front of you who does not deserve to be served. And that's what Abigail did. She wasn't too good to humble herself in a situation where she did nothing wrong, but instead she did everything right. And she said, you are my Lord and I am your servant. And I just want to say that if our goal is to heal anger and if our goal is to uh, bring righteousness, peace, and joy, this is a key that would unlock that. And I imagine that in that very moment when she laid herself low before David, I believe that this began the process of softening David's heart. Do you, do you think so? Right? Do you think that he might start to question himself? But the next thing that she does is pure genius. The next thing that she does is pure genius. Now, um, there's there's this kind of uh, Molly's mom has told us the story that I've always remembered for some reason. Uh, and, uh, and and what what Abigail did is she attuned. She did this thing called attuning. Right? And Molly's mom uh, told us the story one time. They travel a lot. And uh, one day they were she and Uh my father-in-law Mike were going somewhere, and I think they got bumped from their flight. Something like that, right? So they got bumped from their flight and her mom was livid, right? Like this ain't gonna work. And so she went to the customer service at whatever airline they were on, and she was ready to read these people the riot act, right? This was not gonna happen. And so she gets to the to the line at customer service and she said, This airline bumped my you know, bumped my flight. They did this the last time, this is not okay. And she just kind of goes after this woman at the desk. Well, you know what this woman did? She goes, They did what? They did what? No way did they do that. They can't do that. That is not right. What are you supposed to do? Just sit around the airport for three hours? And she just kind of went postal saying, This cannot stand. And she got so upset with the fact that they had gotten bumped on their flight that at the end of it, Molly's mom was like, That's not that big a deal. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, you know, we we can work with this. Like it'll be fine. There's bigger issues in life. So, she attuned, she got into the skin of of what Molly's mom was dealing with right, and Abigail did the same thing, when David came angry and offended at Nabal because of his his unjust treatment, very I think kind of comically, she agreed with David, she said pay no attention, my lord, to this wicked man, Nabal that's her husband by the way, right (laughs) he's just like his name, his name means fool, and folly goes with him so just picture this David says your husband's a jerk and she says jerk he's worse than that he's terrible right and he says he's you know David said he's the worst and she said you're darn right he's the worst he's a complete idiot and David said he screwed us over he's like he screwed many people over he's terrible and then David goes yeah and she goes yeah (laughs) and then he kind of just loses the wind in his sails There seems to be not much left to get angry about because she is in such complete agreement that this was an offense to him, that this was not right. And so what, what she was doing is she was doing this thing called attuning. And what attuning is, is attuning is, is getting into the skin of the person that is in front of you. It is so deeply understanding them that they actually feel deeply understood. It's It's so deeply caring about what their experience is that they walk away from that interaction with you feeling like they really get me. They are on my side. They really understand what it is that I'm going through. That's what it means to attune. And that's what that that woman at the counter did with Molly's mom. That's what Abigail did with David when he was frustrated. And I want to tell us, you guys, that in our conflicts with people, if we could be so brave in that moment, even that moment of accusation, as to try to step into their skin, if we could be so brave as to try to see what is happening through their perspective, I believe that God will honor that and he will soften your heart and he will allow you to sort of experience what is happening through their eyes. And when you can enter into that, you know what's going to happen? You're going to start to have a heart of compassion. When that happens, you're going to start to understand. You're going to start to, to have a heart, the same heart that God has for them, the same heart that Jesus has. And one thing that I try to ask myself a lot, it's just been helpful to me over, over, uh, the years, is I, when I'm kind of struggling in a relationship, whether, you know, with anybody, I always ask myself, God, how do you see this person right now? How do you see this person right now? Because the way that God sees them and the way, I, the way that I see them are often very, very different. But if I can just get God's vision of this person, my heart begins to soften. And so humility is the key. And humility allowed Abigail to go low with David in honor of him. Uh, and it allowed her to attune to David's frustration. And in, in doing so, it took the, the rage wind out of his sails. And thirdly, um, what we see is that uh, Abigail sort of wrapped it up by speaking blessing over David. And specifically what she did, this is so powerful, guys. This is sort of a master class. By the way, none of this is easy, but it is powerful. So the third thing that she did is she spoke blessing over David and specifically she called out his best and his truest God-given identity and his best and his truest God-given uh, or God-called sort of behavior. Okay, so here's what she says. Verse 28. She said, Please forgive your servant's presumption. The Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord because you fight the Lord's battles. And no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. She said, David. God is going to do something really great in your life because you have a heart of purity before the Lord, because you walk in holiness, because there's a call on you. I see that in you. David, God is all over you, and you are obedient to him. That is who you are. Now, as she is speaking these blessings over David, can you imagine that it that it might be getting hard for David to act completely out of character for who God is? Like when she is speaking his true identity, and when she's speaking blessing, and this is who you are, and this is God's call in your life, can you see how suddenly the, the foundation of his rage and his anger and those sinful impulses are just crumbling underneath him? See, in the heat of the moment, she reminded David about who he really is and what he's really about. I have to say, though, in my life, oftentimes when I'm in conflict with a person, uh, I'm not thinking blessing. Blessing. I'm thinking this person is a jerk, right? This person is being unfair. It is hard to switch that channel. But if we are somehow able to attune and if we are somehow able to just step back and say, God, what? who is this person in your eyes? What is? Who are they really? What is their true identity? What is their true calling? If I'm able to step back and just say, this is who I know you to be. This is what God has done in your life. This is what you're called to as we do that. I hope you can see that this could heal nearly any division, nearly any anger, nearly any argument. And I believe, you guys, that this was Abigail's checkmate move. This was her checkmate move. I can't imagine. Can you imagine that David would have gone through with it after this? I I don't think he could. I don't think he could. Let's find out. Verse 32. Here's David's response. David said to Abigail, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left, been left alive by daybreak. And then David accepted from her hand what she brought to him and said, Go home in peace. I have heard your words and granted your request. And humility was the key. It was humility that turned David's heart on a dime. It was her willingness to go low that stopped a war. It was her willingness to go low that saved the life of her husband and many others. Um, it stopped King David from doing this incredibly ungodly thing that could have probably just, you know, undone his kingship. And it was just powerful for David because it called out his true identity. And I, I just want to say you guys that, um, that God can heal. Every relationship. I believe that. And again, if if nothing else, he can heal your heart. But I don't believe there is almost any relationship that cannot be healed. Any relationship where hurt and anger and mistrust and division cannot be undone by any of us who would be willing to become conduits of God's kingdom. Who would be willing to just allow God to use us to bring his righteousness and his peace and his joy. And he wants you to know that if you have division or anger or hurt in any relationship in your life that God can heal it. He is a healing God. He is, and I just think that in the same way that God is the author and the perfecter of our faith that he is still authoring and perfecting faith in us. I believe that he still is authoring and fostering new ways of relating to people. He makes all things new. And so if you feel stuck in any place, In any relationship with your life, if you feel stuck in a pattern, I promise you that you are not. God is a miraculous God, and he has a way for us to bring healing into our relationships. And by the way, at the end of the chapter, David did marry Abigail because uh, uh, Nabal died there. And so she got that storybook ending, and I believe that there are more storybook endings for you and I, that, that God can do some amazing things. Amen. We're going to take, um, a minute or two and, um, Rather than praying for our relationships, the way, so I know there's a lot of folks that, um, are newer here to thrive. Um, the way that we finish our services is we always, um, we want to give God a chance to just speak to us. We want to give God a chance to minister to us. And so we do our singing towards God. We, I do my talking towards you. But at the end, we want to, um, just invite God to minister to us, to speak to us. And, and I just feel that, um, it would be easy to sort of pray for our relationships, but I think the most important thing is for us to pray for our own hearts right now. To just pray and just ask God to, um, I'm just going to pray it rather than tell you about it. Holy Spirit, we, we, uh, we open our hearts to you. We open our hearts to you, God. And um, I, I don't know how this message hits other people, but it is a challenge to me. But Lord, I know that this brings us to a fork in the road for every one of us. And we can choose to go the way that we have been going. And we can live with whatever the consequences are of doing um, life and doing relationships uh, the way that we want to. But there's this invitation that we would um, enter into our relationships your way. That we would enter into those places of conflict your way. And so Lord, if humility is the key, then I, I'm just praying for my own heart, church, and I would just encourage you if, you, if you want that, if you mean it, then I would just encourage you right now to ask God, oh Lord, would you humble me? Would you give me humility? Would you give me the courage and the strength and the love to fight for humility, to be able to go low? Lord, uh, I want to be a conduit of righteousness in my relationships. I want to be a conduit of peace in my relationships. I want to be a channel of joy, even in those moments of heated anger. And I just pray for myself, and I pray for every person here. Holy Spirit, would you just anoint and strengthen and envision every one of us do differently, to follow you, to even repent where repentance is needed. I pray that we would step up and say, Lord, use me. I'm not counting on anybody else to bring peace. Use me. Lord, I know that there are some here who have uh, broken relationships, patterns that have been damaging and hurtful, and I do pray that you would just come and open up doors of healing open up doors of newness of life just touch us Lord touch us Holy Spirit